Hey folks, this is your host, Brian Cook, with a few words from our new sponsor, T-Fury. T-Fury is the original pop culture t-shirt destination, selling unique designs every day since 2008. You can snag their shirts for only 24 hours, starting at midnight. Missing a shirt from the past and want to get it again? Head to the T-Fury Gallery, where you can buy some old designs still in print and vote on others to come back from the dead. Every two to four weeks, T-Fury adds more designs to their gallery, so be sure to keep an eye out for the return of your favorite shirts. T-Fury shirts cover all your favorite topics and fandoms. They've got everything from gaming, sci-fi, anime, TV, movies, pop culture, and more. Their t-shirts change daily, so check back as often as you'd like. Also, don't forget about the T-Fury After Hours sale. If you missed the day's shirt by only a little, they keep the sale going into the wee hours of the morning just for you. Check out tfury.com nerdist and see what today's shirt is all about. Now entering nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today you're going to hear round one from a very special LA Championship edition of the show, recorded December 17th, 2013 at the Nerdmelt Theater, featuring past winners Baron Vaughn, Eliza Skinner, DC Pearson, and Aaron Whitehead, reading pieces they wrote backstage based upon audience suggestions. So first you'll hear a piece from me, then the competitors choosing topics, and then the finished pieces. Enjoy. Uh, is anyone here familiar with the Christmas song by the classic American band New Song titled Christmas Shoes? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, it might be the worst thing ever written, and uh, it is my topic this evening. Uh, in celebration of the holidays, I present Christmas Shoes as reimagined by Dr. Seuss if Dr. Seuss was really Irvine Welsh. It was almost Christmas time. There I stood in another line, trying to buy that last gift or two, not really in the Christmas mood. Standing right in front of me was a little boy waiting anxiously, pacing round like little boys do, and in his hand he held a pair of shoes. His clothes were worn and old, he was dirty from head to toe, and when it came his time to pay, I couldn't believe what I heard him say. Sir, I want to buy these shoes for my mama, please. It's Christmas Eve, and these shoes are just her size. Could you hurry, sir? Daddy says there's not much time. Now, you guys will notice when the Dr. Seuss part kicks in because the rhyme scheme won't be fucking retarded. (laughs) You see, she's been sick for quite a while, and I know these shoes would make her smile, and I want her to look beautiful if mama meets Jesus tonight. So far, these are all actual lyrics from a Christmas song. He counted pennies for what seemed like years. Then the cashier said, son, there's not enough here. He searched his pockets frantically. Then he turned and looked at me. He said, mama made Christmas good at our house, though most years she just did without. Tell me, sir, what am I going to do? Somehow I've got to buy her these Christmas shoes. (laughs) So I laid the money down. I just had to help him out. I'll never forget the look on his face when he said, Mama's going to look so great. I knew I'd caught a glimpse of heaven's love as he thanked me and ran out. 
I knew that God had sent that little boy to remind me just what Christmas is all about. But as he dashed to the parking lot, I was quick on his heels and up with him I caught. I placed a hand on his shoulder so lightly he turned and saw me and he smiled so brightly. I said, you didn't think we were done in there, did you? I paid for your shoes and I'm not gonna kid you. Where I come from, you get nothing for free. Those shoes were 80 bucks and now you fucking owe me. The little boy's eyes began welling with tears and I got harder than I'd been in years. He stuttered, what are you getting at, mister I said, get in my van or I'll murder your sister. He turned away, he tried to run. I said, no, not before we have some fun. And if you try to struggle or you try to fight, it won't just be your mom who meets Jesus tonight. I wrenched open the tailgate and pushed him inside. Not in my butt, that's for daddy, he cried. Yes, this boy was no virgin. I could tell by his walk and I could tell by the way he could handle a cock. Because this was no boy, but a short, shifty drifter. I'd known him for years as a swindling grifter. I said, I won't blow your cover if you blow my dick. You midget con artists all make me sick. You can suck me off once and not go to jail or wind up in the clink to get repeatedly railed. The choice is all yours, you pint-sized delinquent, but count yourself blessed as my charity's infrequent. You see, I'd been a cop for 12 years in some, and the mere act of busting this guy made me come. He'd been running this scam for years around town, and I re relished the chance to make him go down. He knew he was done for. I'd caught him red-handed, and he soon got to suckling, just like I'd demanded. My eyes rolled back as his tongue went to work, and without so much as a warning, I came with a jerk. He pulled back and made an attempt to spit, but I covered his mouth and said, you swallow that shit. I plugged his nose so he had to comply, and just for fun, I shoved one thumb in his eye. Then two in his mouth when he'd finished his sup, and I fingered his throat till he barfed it back up. Like new fallen snow, his vomit was white. It appeared my load was all he'd eaten tonight. So before you accuse me of being a sinner, bear in mind I'd just fed him his sole Christmas dinner. He lapped it up off the floor with my gun to his head while he whimpered and moaned that he wished I were dead. I said, that's no way to act. I just spared your life. But then I cut off two-thirds of both ears with a knife. <laughs> Shocking, I know, but it's the holiday season. I would never just sever one's ears without reason. You see, some decorate with tinsel and some with snow globes, but I trim my tree with strings of earlobes. To each his, his own, I'm known to say, as I erect my nativity and then jack off in the hay. My trophies secured, I sent him off running. Despite his short legs, his speed was quite stunning. Merry Christmas, you swine, I called after the dwarf, and I set off into the night to blow trannies by the wharf. Okay, now it's me talking. It's Brian, your host. I know it's the holidays, and this just got real gross. If you're wondering how could I write this shit, here's your answer. It's no more fucked up than Christmas songs about cancer. Thank you very much.
Lots of I get those suggestions, and please welcome your round two comics who'll be writing based upon those suggestions: Eliza Skinner, Baron Vaughn, Aaron Whitehead, and DC Pearson. Give them a round of applause. Let's start with Mr. Baron Vaughn. Step up to the mic, Baron. Clap your hands for Baron Vaughn. So here's how this part works. If he likes the first mm -hmm. suggestion, he can take it and run with it. Mm. If he doesn't like it, I will mm -mm. draw a second one and then you guys <laughs> will vote on which one he has to write. Your first option is Blade Runner. <laughs> Classic holiday film Blade Runner. Are you a replicant or a replicant? Let's do it again. All right, all right. Oh yeah, put that one on the floor. It says Mr. Doolittle. I'm assuming this is before he was a doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> he didn't spend eight years and talk to animals medical school to be called Mr. <laughs> so I leave it up to you. Who would like to hear Blade Runner? <laughs> Mr. Doolittle. <laughs> it appears that Mr. Doolittle it is. Baron Vaughn, ladies and gentlemen. Keep it going for Eliza Skinner. Uh, your first option is Alf. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, that's still that? Okay, uh, I'll see what else we have. All right. That's probably close to getting Hall of Famed at this point, but... Uh, Adventure Time. Oh. <laughs> they, they don't want to hear either of those. <laughs> Who wants to hear Alf? <laughs> Who wants to hear Adventure Time? No, I'm picking a third. <laughs> Veggie Tales it is. Aaron Whitehead, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't know if this is a real thing. Buckets? Buckets? Is that a... Just buckets like a bucket? Is that a movie or a TV show or something? Or No one? No. Okay. Nope. Nope. Uh, your first option is Mr. Belvedere. Okay. I want to see what, what else is coming. All right. Yeah. We've also got I Dream of Genie. I got that as an option last time. Did you really? And, it, and we ended up not doing it. Oh, so. second chances. Who wants to hear Mr. Belvedere? Yeah. I Dream of Genie. Yeah. I Dream of Genie it is. There you go. DC Pearson, ladies and gentlemen. Gracie yeah. DC. I, I hope it's Buckets. <laughs> Uh, it's Dexter. Uh, I would like another option. All right. Mega Man. Who wants to hear Dexter? Mega Man. DC, Mega Man, there you go. All right, you guys are dismissed. Big round of applause for your second round comics. And ladies and gentlemen, Eliza Skinner, your first round two competitor. Bob, I sure am confused, said Larry the Cucumber. <laughs> About what, Larry? replied the ripe little tomato. My brother threw all my stuff in the mud, and it made me real mad. 
Well, sure, replied Bob, trying not to focus on the horror of being a vegetable stump without arms or legs. (laughs) That would make anyone mad. But God wants me to love my brother. How am I supposed to do that when he does such awful things? Why does God want me to love such a jerk? Uh-huh, said the tomato. tomato. <laughs> Distracted by Larry's disturbing ability to gesture without hands. <laughs> I guess it's like it's in the, like it, they say in the Bible, said Larry. Not that again, said Bob. You see, there were two mothers fighting over a child. We see a fade, too. We see a pineapple on a throne looking down at two cabbages fighting over a Brussels sprout. (laughs) Please, King Pineapple, said one cabbage. This is my baby sprout. She's trying to steal it. No, said the other cabbage. That baby sprout is mine. She's trying to steal him from me. There is only one way to decide, said the regal pineapple. You both have to suck my dick. (laughs) Wait, wait, what? Said Said the first cabbage. You have a dick, said the second. How dare you, bellowed the pineapple. No, no, I I know you have a dick, a big, sweet dick. She's the one who didn't. (laughs) The first cabbage scooched over and started groping its lips all over what it assumed was the pineapple's dick area. said the other cabbage, also scooching over and lipping at the pineapple. <laughs> One at a time, said the fat, awful pineapple. <laughs> As the first cabbage continued to try to find whatever the pineapple thought was his dick, the other cabbage rolled back and began pulling back her leaves. What about this, huh? Do you like this, huh? Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> She must have been sprayed down recently because this cabbage was wet. (laughs) Soaking. (laughs) Yeah, peel for me, girl. The pineapple murmured, followed by, oh yeah, 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 you found it, you found it. (laughs) The first cabbage suckled at the nub that was apparently somehow different from the other nubs. (laughs) Although it it was honestly really hard to tell until the pineapple shot hot pulp all over her face. Now can I have my sprout? You fool, it's in my kingdom, it's my sprout. I get to do whatever I want with it. Cut it in half, cried the insane pineapple. No, please, screamed the first cabbage. Do whatever you need to, mumbled the second cabbage, fingering her folds. Somehow. The celery guard raised his axe above the squirming little sprout and we take a break for a silly song! (laughs) With Larry the Cucumber! 
Dicks and pussies and pussies and dicks. Each very different, but they all like licks. Lick them to the top end, lick them down below. Don't forget the bottom end, don't forget the hole. It's okay to use fingers and it's okay to use hands. But remember that we all do special favors for friends because friends are like songs. You just need to sing us and don't expect head without cunnilingus. <laughs> chamber. <laughs> Please, no, my baby, screamed the cabbage again, just as the celery's axe fell on the mewling Brussels sprout, <laughs> splitting it right in half. <laughs> no, cried the cabbage. The crazed pineapple ignored her, dragging his huge fruit body over to the twitching remnants, laughing. He raised the two halves to his face, smearing his cheeks with the blood of the sprout. <laughs> Then he started rubbing the halves all over his junk area and, <laughs> until he juiced again. This time pausing it to lick it off the mangled veggie baby body. <laughs> the second cabbage laughed and cried out, You're a god! <laughs> Blasphemer! Screamed the pineapple who fell upon her crushing the slutty cabbage with his girth. There is only one God and he is my almighty father, he cried out, spitting foamy bits on the wall of his chamber. He slammed his body down on the cabbage over and over until she was bruised and ruined and he was completely crushed on the bottom. All the while still screaming, no, no, witch, your woman parts confuse me and threaten me more than my own sexual urges for another man. <laughs> We fade back to the countertop. So you see, Bob, you have to love your brother. Finished the cucumber. What the fuck, Larry? <laughs> Eliza Skinner. Who do we got round two? Who do we got? Somebody back there? Somebody coming right now? Is it Aaron Whitehead? It's Aaron Whitehead, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I had a I Dream of Jeannie. The night was dark and quiet. Oh, thank you. Great. Check it. I had I Dream of Jeannie. The night was dark and quiet. Well, it was always night in space. That's where Captain Tony Nelson was floating in his one-man capsule, Stardust One. Gosh, he thought, it sure is peaceful out here. I sure do feel bad saying it, but sometimes I dream of Jeannie disappearing. I mean, life is complicated enough being an astronaut. The fact that you guys are already sad about this makes me so worried. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> The capsule tilted, giving Tony a glimpse of Earth no bigger than a Super Bowl, the kind that would become available for ve from vending machines in the 80s but probably doesn't fit as a good analogy in this story. <laughs> Tony gazed at Earth and then suddenly, it disappeared. Huh? Wh what? Wait a minute. I wished for Jeannie to disappear and then the Earth did? Jeannie! <laughs> All of a sudden, the capsule began to shake. We've got to get out of here. Oh, God, it's just me. Why do I always volunteer for these solo trips? Jeannie, I command you to help me. But instead of Jeannie, an asteroid struck the ship. Well, it seemed like an asteroid, 
But just as it neared the capsule, a hatch opened and nine tiny, fleshy, white beings emerged. They beamed themselves onto Tony's capsule. Hey, Star Trek might be off the table, but no one said anything about the Star Trek rules. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha, a slave, one of them said. Finally, said another, we have found a weak creature that we can control. Tony was about to protest. But wait, he thought. It was tiring always being the boss, always telling Jeannie to stroke his balls, lick his gooch, sneak her tampons into his work lunches, (laughs) pretend to be that child he killed in a hit and run when they were in bed together. Rub her breasts on that picture of his parents looking unhappy. Stick her fingers in his anus and make those baby sounds she was so good at. He wanted, no, he needed, to be told what to do. No, no, said Tony, trying to sound like he meant it. Silence, earthling, said the wrinkliest of the beings. Remove your earth penis and prepare to have it spanked. (laughs) Spanked, asked Tony. Yeah, isn't that what earthlings like, to spank it? Oh, uh, that's just a figure of speech, said Tony. Take it out, shrieked another. (laughs) Tony unzipped his spacesuit and removed his plump penis. Look, plump was Jeannie's word for it. Sexy talk was not her strong suit. (laughs) The shriveled little beings took turns spanking Tony's dick with their sweaty childlike palms. (laughs) Ouch! Ow, he cried. You love it, cried one. Ask for more. More, please, more, cried Tony. And then he added, master? Yes, yes, said the beings. He loves it. (laughs) Now we bang the shit out of him. What? No, that's another figure of speech. But the beings were already pulling pieces of the ship apart and then using them to bang the shit out of Tony. (laughs) Yes, master, cried Tony. But suddenly he missed Jeannie. He missed her hair, even though that shook took forever to do and was only washed like once a week, so it smelled like old lady powder she put in it. (laughs) He missed her breasts, especially the one that had gone missing in a freak wish-granting accident. (laughs) Hell, he even missed her pussy, which, while not commonly known, was actually another lamp inside of which lived a genie named Lawrence, but that's a story for a (laughs) spin-off. Most of all, he missed her blinking, blinking him to safety, blinking her wish, his wishes true, blinking love. Deep down, like all men, Tony just needed to be loved. Nothing. No. <laughs> I thought the guys would be like, she gets it. <laughs> I, I'm wrong. Oh <laughs> Jeannie, I wish you never disappeared, Tony wailed. And suddenly, he was floating alone in space. The beings were gone. Tony looked around. At the window, Earth reappeared, small and blue. And then Jeannie was outside the window. But wait, it wasn't Jeannie. It was George Clooney wearing a Jeannie outfit. (laughs) He opened the door and entered, and miraculously, Tony could still breathe. Hey, said Clooney, don't give up, man. I know where they keep the vodka on this Russian spaceship. <laughs> what? No, this is, my, this is my capsule, said Tony. You can't give up. Think of your daughter. 
I don't, I don't have a daughter. Wait, do I? Is Lawrence the genie who lives in my wife's pussy my daughter? Oh my God, I've been fucking the shit out of her. <laughs> Look, said Clooney, there's only one way to save yourself and get back to genie. What is it, said Tony. I need you to dress up like Sandra Bullock and fuck me. Look, I'm so fucking pissed I didn't get a sex scene. Do you know how hot I am? And they killed me off just because she looks better in a Speedo? <laughs> what are you talking about, said Tony. <laughs> Never mind, said Clooney, sliding his genie costume down to expose what should have been his dick, but instead was genie's head. <laughs> Jeannie blinked. <laughs> That'll show you to wish I disappeared. Now turn Clooney around and fuck his butthole like the vagina you always wished I had. <laughs> what could Tony do? He took Clooney by the shoulders, turned him around, and inserted his plump dick into Clooney's ready anus. <laughs> wow, you really know your way around a man's anatomy, said Clooney. It's almost like you worked on <laughs> ER. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Clooney, shrieked Jeannie from Clooney's crotch. And Tony, thrust harder. I want Lawrence to feel it deep inside his lamp pussy. Clooney and Tony sighed, and in unison they said, Yes, master. Aaron Whitehead. Keep it going for DC Pearson. I had uh, Mega Man. Yeah. <laughs> Mega Man had fucked his way, erotically, of course, <laughs> through all 12 boner inducing levels of the robosexual video game that was his world. He had defeated all 12 bosses of all 12 worlds. They were. In order, number one, penis man. Number two, vagina man. Number three, balls man. Number four, clit man. Number five, that quasi-penis slash clit thing that the mid-transition protagonist of Jeffrey Eugenides' middle sex had, and I'm presuming a lot of transitioning transsexuals in real life have. Man. <laughs> Number six, expired dusty condom man. <laughs> don't be mad at me, that's the game. Number seven, mental gallery of horrors that runs through your head while you're waiting for the results of your STD test. Man. Number eight, the first time I remember being sexually aroused was during the scene in the Jungle Book where Mog Mowgli's being hypnotized by that snake. And I don't know what that says about me. Man. Number nine, the girl I lost my virginity to said she was a virgin too, but she didn't have a hymen and she provided no explanation. But I'm sure there's lots of explanations. I've never Googled it. I'd rather hang on to my vague feeling of betrayal, man. <laughs> Number 10, I'm still turned on whenever I see an image where the colors have been like negativized. 
It reminds me of scrambled porn. I don't know what that says about me, man. Number 11, in college I told a girl I thought I was bisexual, but I'm not, and looking back on it, I was only trying to impress her. What a dumb way to impress someone, man. Number 12, one time I had weird, guilty sex with an ex-girlfriend, the only kind I had for a long time, and I threw the condom to the hardwood floor afterward, and when I woke up the next day, uh, uh, ants were running in and out of the used condom, presumably eating my sperm. If I were Salvador Dali, I could have painted it, and today it would be worth like $50 million, but I'm not, and I didn't. I just felt gross about it, and I'm telling you about it at a show I'm being paid $50 million minus $50 million for. And now you feel gross too, man. Mega Man had defeated all of them. He had reached the laboratory of his deceased creator, Dr. Light. A screen crackled to life. Mega Man was ready to receive his father figure and creator's final will and testament. His dead mentor's bearded face appeared and spoke. Mega Man, Dr. Light said, aren't you so fucking sick of nostalgia? Like, it's all well and good to enjoy things from the 90s, you and I are both characters from the 90s. But after the 90s, it ceased to be about whether or not we were ever any good because we were from a time that was also a time that people who are currently in their 20s and 30s grew up. We will no longer be remembered for who or what we actually were. We will signify nothing but the 90s. And you realize that we're stuck with this shit forever, right? Those people who are currently in their 20s and 30s are gonna be around for 40 and 50 and 60 more years. Do you really think that as they age, their memories of their childhood in the 90s will become more nuanced? <laughs> Fuck no. Until the day you die, you will be at a party and you will not be able to talk about an actual, an actual nice new thing that happened in your actual adult life by saying, sincerely, I'm so excited, without some cock nugget in a tweed peacoat overhearing you and going, I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so scared. <laughs> Remember that? From Saved by the Bell? Of course you do. I've never even seen Saved by the Bell. And I remember that. And I know, I know. Don't tell me I need to see it. I don't. I'm standing here, a functional adult, a smart, funny, kind person, and I did it all without having seen some inane teen sitcom made by cokeheads with a deep contempt for their audience. 
a show that you only remember fondly because you remember everything fondly if you saw it before you had to pay taxes. <laughs> or before ever having anyone ask you a question that wasn't your own name or have to come up with an answer that wasn't here. <laughs> Every generation has gouged their eyes out with the boners they've had for their own childhoods. I get that. And I'm part of the problem. I mean, read my Twitter feed. I've spent more words making jokes about the song No Diggity than there are words in the song No Diggity. I get it. I get it. 90s nostalgia brings us together. It brings us together to do nothing. Remember? Everything wants to know if you remember. We have an internet with infinite space. Let the internet remember, leaving us free to think of new shit. But we don't. Instead, we fill the internet with this cul-de-sac 90s nostalgia because we just need people to click and they'll click on something they remember every time over something they don't remember because it's new. Nostalgia has its place. It's a lovely garnish. But motherfuckers are out here acting like it's the whole meal. It's not, and I'm hungry. The Cubists at the start of the 20th century disavowed... Disavowed an entire planet's worth of thought about spatial relationships just in the name of making something new. And don't be like, the 90s have their cubist master too. His name was Tom Green. He's funny, but seriously, fuck you. Mega Man, my final wish for you is that you do something truly new. Even if it takes your whole life and when you're done, nobody cares. Please just have one new thought. Mega Man's cyborg brain clicked and word new he thought new i got it he cleared his throat and spoke his original thought lisa turtle using stick stickly as a tampon <laughs> mega man dr light said i'm glad i'm dead dc pearson Give it going for Baron Vaughn. Yeah, I hope you guys are ready for anti-climax. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle, oh, Dr. Doolittle. It's Mr. Doolittle. Doctor was my father. <laughs> That would explain why you're half goat. <laughs> Mr. Doolittle, the son of Dr. Doolittle, sat on a park bench on a beautiful day in Edwardian London. That's the era after Victorian. His midday routine was feeding the ducks in Hyde Park. It was peaceful and quiet. The ducks didn't care that Mr. Doolittle was a goat man. You see, his father, the doctor, could talk with the animals walk with the animals, roar and bark and squawk with the animals. And what the doctor found was pretty much every animal was DTF. Especially monkeys, sheep, and goats. 
everyone knows they're the sexiest animals. That's why most venereal diseases were believed to have started with them. And that's why Mr. Doolittle's mother was a goat. Yes, his father also fucked with the animals, cucked with the animals, poked and stroked and sucked with the animals. Mr. Doolittle was a miracle of bestiality. And most people mistakenly believed he had his father's abilities. What can I do for you, madam? Mr. Doolittle stood to address the old biddy of a woman dressed in all black approaching him. I need a translator for my late husband's pet goat. Ah, this woman knew the only animals Mr. Doolittle could communicate with were goats. He was half goat, you see. Have I mentioned that? It's super weird. <laughs> 20 minutes later, Mr. Doolittle and Madam Overy stepped into the backyard of her palatial estate. It was a gaudy design with enough cherubic fountains that would make Hadrian blush. Google Hadrian later, tonight. <laughs> there, next to a distinctive shrub, was a solitary goat. This bitch, said the goat regarding the approaching people. I, I, can, I can understand you, retorted Mr. D. Oh, really, you have goat? <laughs> yes, said Mr. D, pulling up his pant leg to reveal fur and hooves. That's super weird, quipped the goat. Thanks, so what seems to be the problem? The goat and the biddy spoke at the same time. Uh, the doctor interrupted, whoa, 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 not at the same time. <laughs> that was the same time. That was the same time. <laughs> this goat knows where the key to my late husband's safety deposit box is, and she won't tell. Okay, said the mister to the goat. Uh, what should I call you? Deborah. Okay, Deborah, uh, why won't you tell? I like a show. Okay, said Mr. Doolittle, lost. The goat continued. This woman is chaste, faithful, decent, it's bullshit. The last 20 years of her husband's life, they didn't do the do ever. And I like a show. Oh, said Mr. Doolittle, realizing a hopeless situation. Madam Overy's curiosity was piqued. What? Uh, it seems this is a lost cause. Deborah here wants to watch you have sex with your husband in order to reveal what she knows, and he is dead, so, uh, interrupted Deborah, I said I like a show. The other stuff is you assuming a lot. Tell you what, you fuck her right now, I'll tell you where the key is. <laughs> what did those bleatings mean? asked Overy. <laughs> you're, you're going to laugh, but uh, Deborah wants us to have sex in order to find the location of your key. <laughs> Isn't that grand? Before Mr. D could finish his sentence, Madam Overy had removed everything and lay in the grass. Semi-elderly Zoftig she was. <laughs> he was surprised to find his goat dick was ready for war and more than willing to hide in Madam's trenches. <laughs> Madam Overy, Mr. D was scandalized. Perhaps you should do a little something to this. <laughs> and with that, Madam Overy dropped into a split and turned herself onto her back, spreading her legs wider than Mr. D had ever seen a legs go. <laughs> My goodness, he exclaimed. You just put your thing down, flipped it, and reversed it. <laughs> You should work it. 
Once Madame Overy spoke that rhyme, something awoke in Mr. Doolittle. The animal. He had always considered himself asexual because of his lack of interest in anyone in any sexual way for his entire life. But now he knew what worked for him. Flexible old women coaxing him while a goat watched. (laughs) The sound came from his own mouth. (laughs) He ripped his clothes off, exposing his mythical man-goat body to the hot London sun. He didn't walk. He didn't run. No, he galloped toward Madame Overy's lustful nakedness, ready to shoot backed-up semen from his furry hybrid man cannon. (laughs) And just as he neared (laughs) the ancient musk emanating from Madame's legs, it smelled like sweet cinnamon and manifest destiny. (laughs) Kathwap! Knocked unconscious with a crowbar. Knocked out by his own father, Dr. Doolittle. That'll do it. Thank God, I did not want to see that, said Deborah. Oh, does does that get your goat? Said the doctor, pausing to laugh over the body of his own son. Just let's bury the body before anyone sees, said Madam Overy. Right, agreed the doctor. Now no one will remember the time I fucked a goat. Gone shall be this chapter in history. Super weird, said Madam. Very weird, said Deborah. We can all agree it was weird, laughed the doctor. (laughs) They all laughed together as the doctor pulled back the hammer of his old flinthawk pistol, pointing it to the temple of his unconscious goat son. So very super weird. The end. Baron Vaughn. Baron, stay right there. Let's get everybody from round two back up. Ah, uh, where are Eliza and Aaron? All right, I'll remind Eliza you again. Eliza and Aaron, please come out. I'll remind you again whatever we wrote, uh, and then we will vote on a winner. We started with Eliza Skinner with Veggie Tales. Then hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. God damn it! Listen to the rules. This is just the reminding part. It's Eliza Skinner with Veggie Tales. Uh, Aaron Whitehead with I Dream of Genie. DC Pearson with Mega Man, and Baron Vaughn with Mr. Doolittle. So. <laughs> Now with your applause, starting with Eliza Skinner, Veggie Tales. Aaron Whitehead, I Dream of Genie. DC Pearson, Mega Man. Baron Vaughn, Mr. Doolittle. It's close, but I'm calling that for Eliza Skinner, your round two champion. With her third, if I'm not mistaken, win on this show. Big round of applause for everybody you guys saw tonight. It's a pretty good show, right? Well, that does it for round two, and congratulations once again to Eliza Skinner. To hear round one from this show featuring five other comics reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing, you can go back and download episode 45. 
Upcoming live shows include January 21st at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles and January 30th, 31st, and February 1st, all at the San Francisco Sketch Festival. Details can be found at sfsketchfest.com. Or you can always follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.